Corinthians chapter 2. We read the chapter, we take as our text verses 9 and 10. We hear the inspired word of God. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, Not in the words which men's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yea, he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, 9 and 10 are the verses we take as our text this morning in connection with Pentecost. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared For them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the manual that God provides to us, Christian soldiers, is the Bible. We have God's Word. The Bible is inspired, authorized by God, who is the commander of his spiritual army. And the Bible contains everything that we need, all the truth that's necessary for us. It involves all the weapons that are necessary to understand and to know. 
in order that we might do battle in the midst of this life as spiritual soldiers of Jesus Christ, fighting against sin, assured of the victory that we, in Christ, will overcome the devil. Now, the Bible is a -a one-of-the-kind manual. Every religion has their manual, so to speak. The communists have their manifesto. The Muslims have their Koran. The Maoists have their little red books. All these different religions. But of all these manuals, the Bible alone contains the wisdom of God. It stands unique. The Bible reveals what our text states here. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. The Christian manual reveals things from God that man cannot find on his own. Now in that connection, we need to understand the significance of the Holy Spirit. How is it that man is able to know the Bible? How is it that we can understand the teaching of God? Natural man finds the teaching of the Bible foolishness, will not follow it, will not heed it. The gift of the Holy Spirit is what's necessary. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to know the Scriptures and we're able to make use of them as that manual in the midst of the spiritual battle we find ourselves. And so we thank God for the gift of His Spirit. And we thank God for the means by which He has given us so that we can understand the scriptures and make application of them to our lives. Now as we look at the Holy Spirit, it's interesting that the majority of the references to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament are in the last half of the New Testament. Approximately 80% of all the references to the Holy Spirit are found in the book of Acts, the epistles of Paul, and the book of Revelation. The other 20% are found scattered through the Gospels. But the emphasis in the Gospels is on the Holy Spirit's coming, the future gift of the Holy Spirit. And we understand that. It was a matter yet of promise. Whereas in Acts and the Epistles and Revelation, the emphasis is on the present reality of that Spirit as that Spirit has been poured out. As that Spirit now is active in the church and it dwells in the hearts of believers. And we understand the difference. The Gospels were written prior to Pentecost. And then the epistles and Acts come after Pentecost. And so the baptism of, in, and with the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church of Jesus Christ made a significant difference in the teaching and the writing of the apostles. And what's the significance of that? 1 Corinthians 2 here delves into that. The wonder is such that the Holy Spirit enables now the church to know Christ, to know the wonders of God, to know even the mind of Christ. What a profound truth so that we are able to know, we're able to speak, and we're able to instruct even. That's the emphasis here. One who has the Holy Spirit to whom the Holy Spirit has been revealed is one who's transformed now and one who's able to live to the glory and honor of Jehovah God. A glorious thing God has done 
for his people. And as God reveals to us truths that are astounding, truths that we can't of ourselves understand, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now applies those blessings to our lives and gives us to know the wisdom of God as it pertains our salvation. We look at that this morning, the blessing of Pentecost, noting the blessings, especially in that aspect of them, their application to our lives in order that we might know the word and live according to it as the manual of God for our Christian battle. Secondly, the revelation by which God makes it known. And finally, the objects to whom God gives that precious gift. Verse 9 states, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Almost all agree that that's a quote out of Isaiah. And specifically, it's taken from Isaiah 64, verse 4. We read there, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. Now, at first glance, we would say, this passage seems much the same as Isaiah. But as is often the case, when the apostles quote from the Old Testament, slight differences are given. And we understand that the Holy Spirit, who is the author of Scripture, is using then the New Testament to explain the Old and to elaborate on the significance of it. Upon closer look, we notice that the words are different, so that Paul is using different language here. We also are struck with this. It seems as though Paul is taking this verse and this passage out of context. We look at how Isaiah intended it. Then we look at how Paul uses it here in 1 Corinthians 2. And we struggle at first to understand how does this fit together. Literally, this is what Isaiah states. If we take the Hebrew literally. From of old, men have not heard, nor understood with their ears... I hath not seen a God except thee. He will do or will prepare for him who looks for him. So God is setting forth in Isaiah a wonder concerning his work and concerning the application of it to his people. Now even though the words are slightly different, there's really no change in meaning. The Holy Spirit through Paul now here in 1 Corinthians 2 understands and explains what Isaiah was doing. Isaiah, as the prophet, was remembering how wonderfully God came to the rescue of his saints on so many different instances and in so many situations. Isaiah is rejoicing in the wonderful favor of God that Israel found herself in trouble. She gave herself to the service of God's. And in the context there of her struggles and difficulties... God's goodness again and again to his church was beyond comprehension. It would be impossible for someone to be able to determine or to be able to figure out how God would react to his people. And again and again, God's reaction and God's presence and God's revelation was astounding. It was beyond the highest expectation of men. Israel made themselves deserving to be cast off forever. And yet God in marvelous ways would come to her deliverance and to her victory. 
He would send ten mighty plagues. He would perform wonders by causing the sun to stand still. He would strengthen Israel in ways that they could never have imagined so that they could win battles. But again and again, God would come with the assurance of his love and his care for his church. And so Isaiah is speaking of that marvelous goodness of God. And he's saying how it's beyond human comprehension. Why would God act that way? Why would God show favor to such a people? We can't even begin to comprehend. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. From of old, we can't fathom the ways and the works of God. Now, how does that relate to Paul's discussion here? Paul is speaking similarly of the favors that come upon God's children. Now, Paul is talking here about every single day. Every single day, we as believers stand before the living God and we experience God's blessings. Astounding blessings, marvelous blessings. We who deserve to be cast off experience daily that we are loaded with benefits from Almighty God. And in dealing with these blessings, and dealing with these benefits, how are we to understand? How are we to respond? And the apostle here says we need to look beyond the immediate aspect of the temporal blessings and we have to look at the cause. And behind it we see one who is all wise. We see one the fullness of whom we cannot begin to fathom or comprehend. We see the goodness of God being displayed. And so the apostle here is speaking of the hidden wisdom of God as it's spoken of here in verse 7. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And that hidden wisdom is really the wonder of salvation. Why would God choose to himself this people? Why would God preserve this people? Why would God shower upon them gifts in abundance? For Christ's sake. Nothing happening by chance, but Jehovah God ordaining all things according to his perfect plan to choose to himself a people and to give his own son as the means by which they would be given salvation and righteousness and then by his spirit now to make known the marvelous wonder of that salvation knowing that they are found in Christ and that Christ earned all the blessings of salvation and now that link to all those blessings is the Holy Spirit and faith how is it that the believer receives all these bountiful blessings that are in Christ because the spirit now by faith, applies them to the hearts and to the lives of God's children. There's a mystery. There's a marvel here. And so he's talking about all the blessings of eternal life as they're found in Jesus Christ. And that wisdom is hidden, he says. Why? Because natural man is blind to these blessings. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. They cannot see, number one, that these blessings come from God, and they can't see, number two, that therefore they're good. And so they receive physical gifts, they receive good gifts, but they don't understand the spiritual blessedness of them. They don't thank God as they ought. So dull the human mind is 
in understanding the mysteries of God that the human mind thinks that he deserves them. And he seeks to use them then in his own service and for his own pleasure. And he puts his trust in himself and his own ability. Words of wisdom cannot succeed in opening the eyes of the blind. And the apostle here is speaking, as Isaiah did, of the fact that natural man will never see God. Will never see God in creation. Will never see God in all of the good gifts that they receive. Will never see the hand of God and the marvelous work of God in their life until their eyes are opened. They're able to understand the Bible in an intellectual way. And that comes out from the fact that they're able to call it foolish. So they can, they can understand the Bible so much that they can read it and then they can make a judgment about it. And the judgment they make about it is that it's foolishness. So the problem is not that they can't understand intellectually the scriptures. For instance, it's not as though I would be talking to someone who's Chinese and he speaks to me in Chinese. I don't have any idea what he's saying. I can't even fathom, so I can't even respond to him in any kind of a meaningful way. That's not the idea here. The idea is that they read it. They understand it intellectually. And then they make a judgment about it. And the judgment is that it's foolish. The idea that God would send one who's born of a virgin, that that one would die on a cross, that he would be raised from the dead, what foolishness is their conclusion? The problem is not that the Bible's not clear. The problem is that they interpret what they read and they conclude it's foolish because they do not have that wisdom from on high that enables them rightly to understand it. And so the death of Jesus Christ is a severe indictment, for instance, on our hopeless, sinful condition and are insufficiently to save ourselves. Why is it that God would have to send his own son and that his own son would die? Because man is sinful and man is a sinner. Now man doesn't want to make that confession. And so rather than coming to the conclusion that Jesus had to come because I couldn't do it myself, he rejects that, calls that foolishness. So that the wisdom of the world is completely devoid of the wisdom of God. They puff themselves up. They try to find salvation in themselves. And that's the way it will be apart from the Holy Spirit. It's evident then from our text that there is no peoples in this world that have a special hold on the revelation of God or the wisdom of God. One can't say that the Jews... They have a special ability, or the Dutch, or anyone else. Apart from the Spirit, there is none that have wisdom. All are corrupt. And their minds will merely show how self-sufficient they are and how they can lean on themselves and trust themselves. And spiritual things to them then are deemed foolish because... That would require of natural man that he has to give up something of his own personal pride. And man won't do that. So Paul rejoices here. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. 
He didn't come trying to convince them with smooth words or smooth language. He stresses he came with wisdom, setting forth God's testimony as in a mystery to make known the blessings of God and that Jehovah God worked a mighty wonder in their hearts by which they believed. And so the point again ultimately is this. All glory is directed to God for our salvation. Why is it that I understand the Bible? Why is it that I know myself a sinner? Because God, Almighty God, has given me through regeneration to know the power of His Spirit. And that Spirit is the answer. That's the wonder. It's nothing of me. It's all of God. And to Him, all glory must be directed. We have received from God that which God in His love and grace provided. And so the apostle here is stressing then the deep things of God in verse 10. Stressing the greatness of those depths beyond human comprehension. There's a depth here that man will never be able to plumb. Job informs us in Job 11 verse 7 that no man can find out God by searching. Job emphasizes God is an incomprehensible deep. No mere man, curious as he may be, can try to fathom the things of God's being. Now again, that doesn't mean that we can't intellectually know God. It doesn't mean that man can't come to some kind of an intellectual understanding, but he can never comprehend the depths of the Godhead. That's the duty and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit causes us to know our desperate unworthiness. The Holy Spirit causes us to see, on the other hand, the beauty of Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for us. The Spirit opens our eyes to our own depravity, our own worthlessness, and then causes us to see that our value is found in Christ alone, through whom we have been regenerated and given life. All praise, all glory to God alone. Now these great, wonderful blessings defy our understanding. And the analogies really of the text have to do with this. If you'd give a $100 bill to a three-year-old, the three-year-old doesn't have any idea of the value of that dollar, of that bill, can't fathom the value of that money, Our minds are like childs, a child spiritually when it comes to these spiritual blessings. How many, how bountiful, how great these blessings are that God has prepared for us. But we don't understand it. We don't fathom it. We don't appreciate it. They have to do with glory, with everlasting bliss. God has prepared a treasure for his children in Jesus Christ. A treasure that has to do with now, but also eternity. It's necessary then that God reveal himself in order that we understand the value and the treasure of what God has done for us. And that revelation is by his spirit, according to verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. So while by nature... We can't fathom the fullness of those blessedness. God works by His Spirit in our hearts and gives us to understand and to know the marvelous character 
of who he is and what he's done for us. The one who reveals all things is always the all-wise, all-knowing, invisible God of heaven and earth. And revelation is a divine act by which this great and glorious God now unveils and discloses these marvels that were hidden. And so God does so by opening the eyes, giving hearing, and he does that by regenerating his elect children. He gives us life. We who were dead are made alive. And now we have ears to hear, we have eyes to see. That which was once known, hid, is now known to God's children. And so God used the apostles to make known more clearly that interpretation through Pentecost. As the apostles came, they didn't come with the wisdom of men. They preached the truth of God, trusting God by His Spirit would work regeneration in the hearts of His children. And so that they would believe. As many as were ordained to eternal life would believe. And the apostles then, knowing that wonder, were able to come then and grant this commendation to the churches that we came, we preached, and we rejoiced in the wonder that you laid hold on that truth and you embraced it. And that wasn't anything of yourself. That was the Holy Spirit working in and through you, whom God had chosen from all eternity, and now who in time God had implanted that new life. The vision, the interpretations, all the wonders could never come to the mind of man. God creates man with a marvelous mind, marvelous ability and understanding. He has natural wisdom, but there's no way he can know the things of God or perceive the mysteries of his plan. And so divine revelation is necessary. And that revelation is realized through the Holy Spirit. We rejoice in the gift of the Holy Spirit who has opened that revelation for us. And so in a brief, profound statement here, the apostle explains that mystery of revelation. Verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, Yea, the deep things of God. A divine treasure demands a divine key. And you children are familiar with keys. If your dad and mom lock the house, you can't get in without the key. If you want to get in, you need the key. God has a glorious hope. He has a glorious home reserved in heaven for his children. But the only way to get into that house, the only way to know the blessings is through the means that God has ordained. God holds the key. And God gives that key by faith to his children. He works in them the wonder by which they know Christ and they know the fullness of Christ's work on their behalf. And they know the joy and the hope that is theirs in him. And by faith then, they go forward knowing and believing Jehovah God is their father. And he's given to them to know that they've been adopted into his family. And they've been given the right to entrance now into his house. I know my own thoughts. I know my own goals. I know my own desires. Nobody else can know them. 
That's kind of what the apostle, the analogy, again, the apostle's using here. I can know what I want to do, and I can know my thoughts, but the only way someone else can know them is if I explain them to them. My spirit knows my thoughts, my desires, my ambitions. But that spirit now must make them known to you. That's what God says now. My spirit knows my plan, knows all the wonders of salvation that I've ordained for my church and for my people. And the only possibility then of you knowing that glorious plan and the place that you occupy in it is if I now give you that spirit in order that you might know those deep things that are mine. And so the spirit that searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, is given to you and to me by a wonder of God's grace. Pentecost is Christ pouring out His Spirit, the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ now, into the hearts of His people. The Spirit that searches and knows the deep things of God is now given to us. And we're now given by the power of that Spirit to know and to understand the mysteries of salvation. The Spirit searcheth. Now first the Holy Spirit does this within the being of the triune God from all eternity. The Spirit searches out the deep things of the Father. The Father's counsel, the Father's plan, the Father's will. And reveals them to the Son. He searches the deep things of the Son and the things that the Son would accomplish and reveals them to the Father. So that the Spirit is the breath of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father. That's within the triune Godhead. In the Spirit, the Father and Son enjoy perfect friendship and fellowship. But secondly, the Spirit searches out the depths, the attributes, the thoughts, the will of God, His decrees, His plan, in order to know everything that takes place in God's plan and counsel. Nothing is hid from the Spirit of God. What He knows, He knows perfectly. And now the Holy Spirit reveals those things to us. All things in history, the things that must yet come to pass in time, those are known to the Spirit. And the Spirit now reveals to us the things that must yet come to pass so that we have a knowledge of not only Christ coming again, but the things that must take place prior to his return. The Spirit gives us to understand why things must die. Why is it that my loved one dies? Why is it that the elect still must die? What is the purpose of suffering? The Holy Spirit gives us to know now the mind of God. And we're given to understand that it's the Father's love that takes a loved one in order to bring it to be with Him. So that precious in the sight of God is the death of His saints. The Spirit gives us to understand that suffering, trials, afflictions are working a work that's for my good. The Spirit discovers the things of God's counsel, the reasons for them, how they're all interrelated. And the Spirit begins that work of now revealing them to us so that we can, in a creaturely way, begin to understand God, His glory, His purpose, His plan. And He gives us the revelation of the Word so that we can delve into that. 
The Spirit then reveals or makes known the revelation of God in a number of ways. We would say, first of all, the Spirit moved men of old to write the Bible. That most basic. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter 1, verse 21. God raised up men to write his word so that what we have in the scriptures is the word of God. The divine, infallible, inspired word of God. This is the manual for Christian life and for the Christian soldier. The days of special revelation we know are over. The scriptures are sufficient. There's no new revelation today. No one has a special line to God in order to know in a higher sense than another what is the will of God. Men and women try to keep on doing this. They say, oh, but I have a special revelation. I had a dream or whatever. And now I know this. And even though it may be contrary to the Bible, even though it may be something that nobody else agrees with, that person now thinks that that person has a right to pursue that way. We reject that idea. Often individuals who talk that way do so in order to justify their own sin. Maybe they want to forsake their husband, forsake their wife, and they now have, they think, a specific revelation from God that they have to leave their spouse in order to marry someone else. That's a violation of God's clear, revealed will in his word. The Spirit testifying concerning the writing of the word. And the apostles then, when they died, were the conclusion of that written word. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12 talks about the fact that the apostles were given the sign of an apostle. And when they died then, the implication is the signs of the apostles ceased. And belonging to that was not only the ability to do miracles, but also revelation. But secondly, the Spirit then penetrates our hearts and makes us able to hear to see and to understand the revelation of God's Word. This is the wonder of the work of the Spirit. We hear the Word. And we don't say, oh, that's just talking about someone else. We say, that's me. I'm the sinner that's being spoken of there. We hear the Word about what Jesus did. And we don't say, oh, Jesus may have died for others, but no, no, he didn't die for me. No, we realize this is what Jesus did for me. So that the Spirit now enables us not only to understand what God did and what God does, but we're able to see the value of that plan and that purpose personally. The Spirit gives us faith. And that faith is a union with Jehovah God. And the Spirit reveals then the value of Christ's sacrifice. That he laid his life down in perfect obedience in my place as my substitute, my sacrifice. My sin is exposed. I cannot save myself. And the work of Christ is exalted and magnified. That's the work of the Spirit. Not to draw attention to himself, but to direct us to Christ. And to see that we owe our all to him. And so the Holy Spirit makes the word very personal for us. As we read it, there's application to our lives. As we hear it proclaimed, it speaks to us. It convicts us of sin. It directs us in comfort to the way that we should go. It upholds us and encourages us in our way. As God reveals to us His will. 
To whom does this revelation come? God hath prepared it for them that love him. Verse 9. Now it makes no difference if we take the word of God as it comes to Isaiah. Isaiah said, that waiteth for him. Or the apostles' word here, that love him. They that love him are those that are waiting for him. And they that wait him, wait for him, are moved to wait for him because they love him. And so we understand the connection here. And always that waiting for or that loving is because of God's work first in our lives. It's not something that I originated. It's not something that began with me. I love God because he first loved me. I wait for him because he found me. And he's the one that worked the wonder of grace in my heart. He's the one who chose me. And because he chose me, I believed. Again, again and again, through the book of Acts, we see that marvelous truth. As many as were ordained to eternal life, as many as God had chosen now, given the gift of the Spirit, what was the result? They believed. They loved God. They waited on him. They trusted in him. The Spirit opened their eyes, which had been closed due to the blindness of sin. The Spirit opened their ears and gave them understanding. And the Spirit, by regenerating them, gave them that new life, that life of Christ, so that now they perceive the things of the kingdom of heaven. Now they understand the wonders of God's working. And now they possess the hidden wisdom through the Spirit. Even though we can't yet fathom the fullness of the beauty of the inheritance that God has laid up for us, by faith, we direct our eyes to him. And that's the fruit of the Spirit in our hearts. Even though we can't yet hear the strains of heavenly music as we would desire, we're able to discern the Word of God and the Holy Gospel speaks to us with sweet melodies concerning the glory that is ours in Jesus Christ. And we give Him then all praise and all glory. Verse 16 speaks of the fact that we are made spiritual individuals who have the mind of Christ. That's astounding. Such is the work of the Spirit, that the Spirit works in us now, the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ was such that Christ's mind was devoted to God. It was devoted to giving God all glory. Christ set his mind on God alone, and he pursued God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. God gifts us with that wonder by regeneration that the life of Jesus Christ living in us now directs us to God so that we pursue him, we seek after him, we desire to honor him and to give him glory. We want to do his will in everything that we do. We know that our lives are not to be lived for self. Our lives are to be lived for God and for his glory. And God has created us to show forth his praise. The mind of Christ directs us now to God, to His glory, and to live unto Him. Now what's the significance of this? Beloved, never on this earth are we fully going to understand the wisdom of God. Even to all eternity, it's going to be impossible for us yet to exhaust that wisdom. God will be revealing Himself increasingly yet through all of eternity so that we will be growing in our understanding of his greatness, his majesty, his goodness, and his glory. But now we're ready. 
We have that wisdom that's from above. We have the mind of Christ. And that gives us comfort. That gives us hope. That strengthens us through the trials and afflictions of life. The Spirit is called the Comforter. And God knows our desperate need for comfort. First of all, because of sin. Because of our sin, we know that our sin demands the wrath of God. God gives us His Spirit now to assure us that those sins have been paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus came and He died for the despised, the lowly, the wounded, those who were nothing from the perspective of this world. And He died in order to make them exalted, to give them a place in His own family. The Spirit gives us to see and to understand the marvelous wisdom of God in sending His own Son to the cross. And the Spirit testifies in our hearts to make us know and to understand the work of Jesus Christ as necessary for my salvation. What I could never do, He did for me. And the Spirit comforts us in the knowledge that all things are working together for good to those that love Him. We're given the assurance that though the way is difficult, though we're in a fierce battle, the victory is ours in Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit equips us with the necessary armor that we need to fight in the midst of this intense battle. The mind of Christ humbles us before the Word of God. We go forward with the Word of the Spirit as the sword of the Lord. The Spirit causes the Word to draw us to our knees in confession of sin. The Spirit causes the Word to comfort us and to lead us in the joy and the beauty of our salvation. The Spirit opens the manual that God has given and makes application to our hearts and lives so that it's useful, it edifies, it strengthens us in the midst of the spiritual battle and gives us to know that we're not alone. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And He who bought me with His precious blood is the one who will keep me, who will preserve me, and who will bring me into the full bliss that awaits. Think of a father who loves his son and is looking forward to his son coming home. The father, a tremendously brilliant father who knows his son very well and is tremendous wisdom knows exactly what is necessary when that son comes home to make that son joyful, to make that son rejoice, and to be filled with happiness. Beloved, that's your father. Your father in heaven in his inscrutable wisdom knows exactly what's necessary to bring you into the fullness of a joy that eye hath not seen nor ear heard into the enjoyment of a salvation that is so glorious and so wondrous that nothing of this life can compare to it. And by His Spirit now, He's leading and guiding us into the fullness of that wonder. Imagine the homecoming. Imagine the joy when God welcomes His sons and daughters into the fullness of that perfection. But now He knows precisely what's necessary for you and for me. By the power of His Spirit, He showers us with everything that's necessary. Blessings from on high in order to uphold us in the trials, the struggles, the challenges that are necessary 
to prepare us for that height of glory when we meet our Lord. And he sent his spirit to accomplish that wonder. We speak, beloved, of the wisdom of God, a wisdom that eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has made it known to us by his spirit, and we live then unto his glory. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what great wonders thou hast performed for thy church throughout all ages. Even as Isaiah was moved to the depths of his being to see the ways in which thy hand was evident for good upon thy church. We look at our lives and we see with humility and with awe thy goodness and thy mercy toward us. And we thank thee for the precious gift of thy spirit. That spirit who's showering us with gifts from above in order to prepare us as children for entrance into the mansion of our heavenly Father. And may we press on with thy word as our guide, knowing and believing by the work of thy spirit the blessed assurance that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, strengthening us to live unto thee. Amen.